Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today we continue our studies in 1 Thessalonians, Paul, the Gospel and the Church. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart. We'd love for you to join us over there. Good morning everybody. Nice to be back with you again. And uh, still in 1 Thessalonians 5, so if you do have your Bible, uh, do turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 with me. And this morning, I kind of just want to give a a, a kind of a macro view on a couple, on a few verses, and uh, just kind of give some new context to it that we've not been looking at in the last uh, few times. And then uh, tomorrow, Andy's going to kind of um, go the extra mile with what I um, share this morning. But um, we've been looking recently, and we've kind of hung quite a long time on verse 16 and 17 about rejoicing always and praying continually Uh, and then yesterday Andy got into the giving thanks in all circumstances and as I say we've we've kind of been in these just two verses because a lot in there for the last probably two weeks now um, maybe even more than that and uh, I just want to add a few more verses on and then kind of give as I say some new context to that so 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 16 to 22 says this, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. Now, one thing that I think we often miss um, in our English translations is, and, and in fairness, for those who are watching, you could kind of accuse uh, me and Andy of doing, of reinforcing this ourselves, um, is that we read these as though these are commands for us as individuals to apply. You know, I as an individual have to rejoice always, I have to pray, pray continually. And I don't think that's, that's not a, you know, a bad reading. It's not like if you are rejoicing continually and, and praying all the time, then we're going, no, you misunderstood it. Rather, I think there's there's more of an emphasis on the um, the communal aspect of this, because in, in English, we don't have any way of differentiating between uh, you, singular, and you, plural. I mean, sometimes we say you guys or you lot, but grammatically, there's no way that we actually um, can have that clarity. In Greek, there's a different way of forming a word if you're talking to a group than if you're talking to one person. And uh, unsurprisingly, all of these commands are given to a group. They're all plural, you, plural second person. And so um, what we're finding here is that Paul isn't necessarily just speaking to what marks the individual Christian in their own personal private time, but what marks us as a body in doing this together. And the corporate aspect of the Christian faith, the the, the communal aspect, uh, really does need to be emphasised more, I think, today. Uh, Over the last two weeks, I've been listening to a um, a, a podcast, multiple podcasts, actually, uh, on church history. And the thing that struck me, because what seems to be common in all these periods of the church that I'm listening to, is the real emphasis on the communal, um, the gathered body of the church, on the Christian life in the context of that fellowship. Um, so one of the things they were saying about is, 
you don't really get this concept of a quiet time, of a, of a devotional time, really until m only in the last couple, maybe 100 years. Um, it's not really a thing that people talk about. Conversion experiences isn't really something to talk about. People don't think in terms of that way. When people talk about uh, hearing the word and, and, and being impacted by the word and chewing on the word, it seems to always be in the context of uh, being submitted to a group of elders or, or to a, uh, a vicar or uh, a pastor who cares for them and hearing them teach the word um, in that context as a body. They talk about praying together as a body, about praying in, in church together. It's, it's far more focused on doing these things, which, as I say, I don't want to undermine the concept of a quiet time or, you know, having your own devotional time with God. That, that's good. But I, I think um, in today's kind of Christian culture, perhaps we can undermine the importance of doing these things in a communal context of uh, making prayer something that marks it, um, marks our gatherings together, making uh, rejoicing, marking something we gather together. And it's interesting, the word for rejoice uh, is is the word uh, evkariste, which is where we get the word Eucharist for communion. Um, so, sorry, no, that's, that's uh, giving thanks in all circumstances is, is evkariste. So, uh, and in, in later on, I mean, by by the end of the first century, Christians would read the word evkariste not as thanksgiving, but as referring entirely to communion. And so it's interesting how that concept of, you know, being a, a people of thanksgiving, giving thanks continually, that then turns into this concept of well if we want to be a people that give thanks that that are thanksgiving that give thanks to god what do we do we break bread and we and we share wine together we um we come to the lord's body and blood we are united around his table that was the way that as a body we give thanks together there's a um an ancient church um kind of directory if you like it was written about 50 a.d called the, the didache and it has this wonderful prayer um, when you're when you're doing the communion, when you're doing the, the Eucharist, uh, and it's very much has that kind of communal aspect of Lord, thank you that you have um, the, the the bread that was spread around on the hills that our fathers ate in the in the desert. We thank you that we now come to eat um, together. You know the sense that everything that, that well, I don't want to I don't want to go too much into it because I could go off track here. But it was the sense that that just as the Israelites were grateful together for the manna that God sent, now too we come to the table of the Lord and we eat the manna from heaven, the bread from heaven together. That was the way that they, as a body, gave thanks. And so uh, we then see things which we can quite obviously see in a in a communal context. Things like not quenching the spirit. I think that I'd actually have a harder time seeing how that could be um, understood in an individual context. It seems that this is a, as a body, as a church, um, we're not quenching the spirit, but we are testing, um, testing everything. We are um, hearing what God has to say to us. We're not treating prophecies with contempt, as the ESV says, we're not despising prophecies. And we have responsibility to test them all. It's interesting because... Um, I love I, if you the original wording that Paul uses is, is quite poetic, really. He kind of says, uh, "What's good? Hold on." And, and the word for "hold on" um, is is very similar to the word for um, "let go" of, or "send away." There's only there's only a couple letters difference. Um, so he says, "What's good? Hold on. Every kind of evil, 
let go, release in that word order. But obviously there's a, there's a much, as I say, in English, we don't have the similarity between the words. So you can kind of see this poetic structure to what Paul is saying here. And so the result of this all, really the application is we have to make it a priority to be gathering together as a body, to be doing these things as a body, to be uh, united to a local church, to be plugged into a local church context and to seeing these things happen. Now, someone may say, but we're in a pandemic. It's not that simple. True, but things are starting to loosen up. Things are starting to change and we can really want to, uh, what well, we can make obedience to this commandment a, a real priority over the next few months, seeing gathering together as, as the way. As I say, devotional quiet time is not, is not bad. It's, not, it's a good thing. I think it's a helpful thing for coming to God and, and fostering our own individual relationships with God. But as I say, the main emphasis in this context is on the local church body gathering together, to be rejoicing together always, to be uh, praying together continually, to be giving thanks together in all circumstances, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus, to not be quenching the spirit together, to uh, be uh, hearing prophecies together, to be rejecting together and to be holding on to what is good together. So as I say, if, if you're not already, then make it a priority. But I'm assuming that if you're listening, you're probably part of the Vine Church already, in which case we would say we're starting to open up. It's, it's a real priority that we come together. It's a real, uh, it should be a real priority that we come and gather now. It's for your own individual consciences, how that uh, works with the pandemic and, you know, maybe you haven't been vaccinated yet. You know, no one is putting pressure on in that sense. But, um, yeah, it's really good to, to do these things in the context of the local church. Um, so let's pray in response to that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have gathered us together as a body, or that you've called us to be together in community, or that you've called us to rejoice together and give thanks together and do all these things together. And we just pray that by your spirit, you would bind us together. And as we uh, come to what seems like the end of uh, an odd situation, uh, when it, as it relates to church and gathering together in the last few months, Lord, we just pray that you would really ease the uh, passage into normality. In Jesus' name we pray, hoping that you will bind us as a church and give us joy in fellowship. Amen.